Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. We're going to jump into uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. Um, This is David. Uh, He is now a little bit of context. We'll go deeper into it later, but... Uh, David is um, at the age of 39. Uh, he has just recently uh, really been instilled uh, the king over all of Israel. And he has finally brought back the uh, Ark of the Covenant, how Pastor Bob was talking about Sunday. He has just recently finally brought it to Jerusalem. And so all the things that David has been spending his whole life to accomplish has finally happened. And, and then this is where we find him. Uh, in chapter 11 it says in the spring of the year uh, when kings normally go out to war uh, turn to your neighbor say it's wartime it's wartime he said when kings normally go out to war David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites Uh, they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah however David stayed behind everybody say behind David stayed behind in Jerusalem Later one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told that she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites, rites, and after having her menstrual period, then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine David opening up that letter? Like, oh, my morning letters came in. Oh, my gosh. Bathsheba's pregnant. Um, What we're going to talk about tonight is, is David, we talked about how he is the warrior king, but David found himself in a position of his life to where because he, he, he didn't do what he was called to do, which was war, he's the warrior king, because he didn't do what he was called to do, it put him, himself in a situation where he was tempted to do things he never thought he was capable of. Uh, the thought for tonight is this, is when warriors don't go to war. When warriors don't go to war. Let's pray over tonight together. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this house, God. We thank you, Jesus, right now, God. We call in your Holy Spirit, Father. We thank you, Father, for minds being open, for hearts being softened, that we're ready to receive from your Spirit tonight. God, there is no schedule. There is no routines, Father. There is only, God, us following after the Spirit. So have your way in this place. We thank you for miracles, signs, and wonders. God, we thank you, God, for chains being broken. We thank you, Father, for revelation, God. God, being realized, God, and understanding coming into this atmosphere tonight. And, Father, we're ready to experience your best. So, God, we put to aside any distractions. God, we, we put aside any barriers, Father, but we step fully into your will tonight. And we say, Father, have your way. In the name of Jesus, and everybody says, amen. And come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. If you're ready for tonight, y'all can be seated. Uh, y'all can be seated. Um, I remember... Um, well, throughout my high school and middle school career, um, uh, I played different sports throughout the year, um, some by choice and some by force. Um, there's some sports I enjoyed, and there were some sports I did not enjoy. And one of those sports I did not like uh, was track. Um, I never understood why people would just enjoy running, right? Um, but the high school I went to, uh, basically you had no choice but to do track because if you uh, played football or if you did football, uh, you also had to do track because their reason was track would keep you in shape for football. Um, and so I was forced to do track, and the race I had to do was the 800-meter race. Um, if you know track and field, then you know that is, a, is not a fun race because uh, it's not quite a long-distance race where you can just, you know, kind of coast it. Um, but it's not a sprint either. It's kind of a weird race in the middle where you basically have to run pretty fast uh, the whole time. And 
Uh, I remember during out that track season, uh, me practicing and uh, getting better with my conditioning and getting better. And uh, the first time I actually ran, I got dead last, guys. That was the first race I ever ran. Uh, But I got better slowly throughout the year. And then I remember it came time uh, for spring break. And my track coach told me, he said, look, guys, I know it's spring break, but you all have to continue to run during spring break. And I remember thinking in the back of my mind, there is no chance in heck I'm running on my spare time, all right? Like, I'm getting forced to do this. I'm not, there's no way I'm going to be running during spring break. And so I remember not doing that at all. Um, during spring break, I, 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 tar- I try not to even jog, all right, during spring break. I was like, I'm not going to do anything more than I have. I don't want to get my heart, heart rate up any higher than it needs to be. And uh, I, I didn't run at all. And then I came back uh, from spring break, and uh, we had a meet coming up. And, and I remember, you know, uh, getting ready for that uh, race and uh, not having the same conditioning that I had before, but I get up to that to that race and I uh, and I get ready and they uh, for the 800 meter race and then they they say ready set go right and we all take off and I took off like normally right I took off like I did before but something was drastically different because uh, this time when I took off instead of me lasting at least you know a lap and a half around the track I last about half a lap. And my legs turn into stone, and I just remember trying to move my legs, and everybody just sprinting past me. And I uh, uh, slowly, I was in first place for a little bit, but then my conditioning was so bad that I ended up getting last and barely walking across that finish line. And I remember collapsing on the ground after the race, and a coach coming and standing over me said, you didn't run during spring break, did you? I was like, no, I, didn't, I did not run during spring break, but... It made me think about how uh, if we do not maintain our consistency, if we don't maintain our relationship with Jesus, if we try to say, hey, I'm taking a break from Jesus for a little bit, that if we don't maintain our consistency or our relationship, we will begin to struggle with things that we thought we had conditioned past, right? Because David, uh, he finds himself doing things that we wouldn't think that King David would find himself doing. See, that's why it's so important for us to maintain our relationship with God. Because if our relationship becomes stagnant, we will be put into a place to where we are making decisions or temptations are coming that otherwise we usually don't deal with. But because we didn't maintain our relationship, our prayer time, or what have you, uh, we are now susceptible to things that we usually feel like we are too strong to get to us, right? Um, That's why having a prayer life is so important. It's so important to have a prayer life. It's so important to spend time with God. Uh, All the times that you can have and all the times that you can be able to have in your your consistency with him. But I'm not talking about a a perfect prayer life because none of us are perfect. Um, uh, I know there's times when life happens and maybe we we miss our times of prayer in the morning. But we all need to have a persistent prayer life. A persistent prayer life looks like, hey, even though I didn't have the perfect day, I'm still going to pray in the evening time, right? Or even though I didn't get up at this time, I usually get up and and I might have to rush something or might have to push off something, I'm still going to make time to pray and be persistent because that's how important prayer is to me. We have to have that mindset of saying, God, I want to have a persistent prayer life. Go and turn to your neighbor and say persistent prayer life. But that makes us look back at King David because uh, it makes me think, how can this man, how can King David uh, commit adultery? And if you read the story, you know he also commits murder. How can King David find himself in that place, in that situation of life, to make a decision like that? Because we're talking about the same King David who was anointed by Samuel at age 15. We're talking about the same King David who defeated Goliath. We're talking about the same King David who was the only one to to bring together the 12 tribes of Israel and bring an unprecedented peace, an unprecedented favor over the kingdom. We're talking about that same King David, yet he finds himself in a situation in life where he's committed adultery and murder all in the same 20, like all in that same week. He, He did those things. How can a man like him find himself 
to where he's capable of that kind of mistakes. How you lead to that is when you have a stagnant heart, a stagnant relationship with God where all of a sudden you need to say, you know what, God, I, I'm good for now. And you know what, God, I, I've been doing great. I've been going to church. I, I made it two Sundays in a row, so God, I'm going to miss this Sunday, right? Because I'm doing good. It's when we become stagnant is when we become susceptible to those things. See, if you look at the history of David, David was anointed at age 15 to become king. And then at age 30, he became king over Judah. But it wasn't until he was at the age of 38 uh, that he became king over all of Israel and finally brought the ark back to Jerusalem. So for all that time, for, for really 23 years of his life, David spent his life uh, warring after the enemy. He spent his life always going against and doing what God wanted him to do. He spent his life working towards the promises and the anointings that was on his life. And finally, when he achieved it, do you want to know when he committed adultery and murder? He committed those mistakes just a year after he finally completed all the things that God called him to do. When he was finally keen over all of Israel, when he finally brought the Ark of the Covenant back to, or to Jerusalem, that is when he got satisfied where he was at and became stagnant with his relationship. See, David spent 22 of his years of his life fighting for what he was anointed for. Even if you go back to six months earlier in 2 Samuel 10, you will find that David is at war against the Ammonites and that he has destroyed uh, 50,000 Ammonites and that he was winning the war. And then wintertime came in. And back in that time, uh, wars were only fought in the spring and in the summer. But when winter came, everybody went back home because of the cold uh, and because of the weather. And then they would come back in springtime. And that's why the scripture says, uh, said in springtime, when kings go to war, that's when they would go back to war. But it says that David, instead of going back to war, it said that he stayed back for the first time in his life. He stayed back from what God was calling him to do, and he got stagnant with his life, and he stayed in Jerusalem. While everyone else was at war, David was in Jerusalem, safe and sound, and becoming stagnant. See, it is the king's responsibility to go to war against the enemy. It was David's responsibility to go to war against the enemy. Just the same way you and I, it is our responsibility as kings and priests to go to war against the enemy. It is our responsibility as fathers to go to war against the enemy by praying over our household. That's our responsibility, right? It's our responsibility as sons and daughters of God to say, you know what, I'm not going to go with the flow of culture. Instead, I'm going to go with kingdom culture, and I'm going to show how we can be a light in this world. That is our responsibility. But David chose not to do his responsibilities, and he became complacent. Uh, he became, uh, he, he put his responsibilities behind him, and he became stagnant. Everybody say he became stagnant. He became stagnant in his relationship with God, and when we get stagnant, we get stupid, right? Because he became stagnant, and he began to make dumb mistakes, and when you get stagnant, you get stupid. I remember uh, when we were at, um, when I was at Bible college, uh, we had this dorm full of guys. It was like 100 guys. And there was this uh, uh, time, um, this day when it, the weather was crazy. It was pouring down rain outside, so we all had to come inside to the dorms, and, and we couldn't leave. We couldn't get on the road because it was too dangerous. And, and really, the worst part was the Wi-Fi was out, all right? And so there was nothing to watch. There was nothing to do. I remember all this, like, sitting around, like, saying, like, what do you guys want to do? Like, y'all want to, you know, uh, play cards or whatever. Like, trying to figure out what to do. We were so bored. We were so bored out of our minds. And we were really bummed because we were excited about watching this UFC fight uh, that night. And because the Wi-Fi was out, we couldn't watch it. But then one of us, after a long period of time of being bored, had the great idea, said, you know what? Let's have our own UFC fight. And so we got all the bunk beds from, from the rooms, and we made our own octagon, and we got all these mattresses, and we put them at the bottom, and we got everybody in the room. We said, you know what, guys? Let's keep it clean, right? No, no, 
shots to the head or, you know, no kicks, but let's just, let's just have fun because we're bored out of our mind right now. And uh, so we literally had about 30 guys all in one little dorm, all cheering on two guys wrestling in the middle. And we're all videotaping it. We're all betting who see who's going to win, who's not. And, and things got so crazy that they ran into the side of one of the bunk beds. It fell over, hit the door, and broke the door in half. And when that happened, our, our leaders, our, our, our dorm leaders, quickly found out about what we were doing, and we got in some pretty, pretty big trouble. And I remember um, our, our, um, uh, the guy was over all the, all the, all the uh, men in the, in the college. He, he gathered us, all the ones who were dumb enough to make that decision. And he said, what were y'all thinking? And we looked around. We're like, we were just bored, right? I mean, we were just bored out of our minds and decided to do something fun. And that led us to do something stupid. But when we get stagnant, we get stupid. See, David was stagnant with his relationship with God, and because of that, he got really stupid with his decisions. If you don't believe me, uh, look what 2 Samuel 11 verse 2 says. It says, late one afternoon after his midday rest. This is David, who's used to going to war, and now he's taking siestas in the middle of the day. This guy is stagnant. This guy is bored. This guy doesn't know what to do. And because of that, said so David got out of his bed and began walking around on the roof of the palace. And that's when he saw Bathsheba. When he was stagnant, when he wasn't doing what he was supposed to, when he was avoiding responsibilities, when he was just trying to, to avoid what he was called to do, is in that moment when he became susceptible to that type of temptation. And see, When we get stagnant, it creates those atmospheres, it creates those situations where those types of temptations can rear its head. Because I know sometimes, you hear it all the time, people say, oh, well, you know, temptations, they, they, sometimes they come from God because you, you always hear people say, right, oh, the Lord is tempting me right now. The Lord is putting these chocolate brownies in front of me. The Lord is tempting me right now. Let me say, the Lord does not bring temptations to your door, Okay. James chapter 1.13 says this. It says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation, everybody say temptation, comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. See, if there is temptation in your life, don't think it's there. Don't think it has to be there. Don't think that God is putting it there. Maybe we need to look and say, how is my relationship with God right now? Because why am I going through a temptation? Why am I struggling things? Why am I going through things that I haven't gone through in the past? Or I'm dealing with things that are becoming difficult against me. Point one for tonight is this, is stagnation invites temptation stagnation invites temptation. There are some temptations taking place in your life. I guarantee it. Is it because it's supposed to be there? It's because we were choosing not to pray the way we should. There are some temptations in our life that I believe wasn't put there by God. Come on, somebody. Wasn't put there because we, it was God's will, but it is there because we are stagnant, because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Maybe we're avoiding a responsibility. Maybe we're not doing what we're called to do. And because of that, we find ourselves on the roof of a palace, walking around, not where we're supposed to be, and now we're seeing temptations that we were never supposed to see. And now we're in situations that God didn't call us to be in. And now we find ourselves in a place of life saying, why am I making all these dumb decisions? Why am I doing things I thought I was past? Why do I keep finding myself in a cycle of addiction? And it has nothing to do with God trying to bring it towards you. It has everything with us being stagnant with our relationship with him. Amen. See, I believe that those lustful temptations don't have to be there. Turn off the TV. Right? Close the laptop and go into the prayer closet, and I guarantee you those temptations will leave you. So I believe that we don't have to put ourselves in these situations and try to say, you know what, I'm in this situation because maybe uh, God brought it to me. No, temptations don't always have to be there. You don't have to live in a constant obstacle course. That's not what God called us to live. Don't think, oh, because of all these hard things and all, that's God making me stronger. No, that's you being stupid. Putting yourself in dumb situations. 
David was never supposed to be on that palace roof. David was never supposed to be in that situation. But because he became stagnant, he put himself in a situation where he wasn't called to be. And then he committed a mistake, a murder, and an adultery that lasted generations in his life because of it. Curses came upon his life because of that decision. See, this wasn't the first time, though, that a Bible character was tempted in that situation, right? If you remember Joseph, he was tempted in a similar way. Potiphar's wife literally came upon Joseph and said, hey, look, you know, come and lay with me is what she said. It's very similar to David, but Joseph had a complete different response than what David had. See, when Joseph ran to, when Joseph, when that temptation came to Joseph, it says that he ran away right? That temptation came, and Joseph said, not today, and he ran, and he ran away from temptation. But when David saw that temptation, and he saw Bathsheba from a distance, he said, hey, pull that closer to me. He said, bring her to me. Bring her to the palace. He brought that temptation closer to himself. See, Joseph fled temptation, but David, he entertained the temptation, He said, I see that in the distance, and I kind of like it. My flesh is jumping up right now. So I'm going to bring that closer to me. And he entertained the temptation. See, when Joseph was tempted, he was focused on his responsibilities. He was doing what he was supposed to do. He was, he was doing the work in Potiphar's house. He, he, was, he wasn't trying to avoid anything. And then when that temptation came, he was so focused in his mind. He was so attached to the spirit that when that temptation came, it was easy for him to drop everything and leave and flee it. But when David was tempted, he was avoiding responsibility. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. He wasn't connected the way he was supposed to be connected with God. And when that temptation came... He didn't have the strength to flee from it. See, we are all susceptible to spiritual stagnation. Nobody is immune to it. Don't think that you can ever reach a place to where you can say, you know what, I made it, I reached it, I'm good. Right? I, I, I reached this place where I have reached the, the, the very top, the peak of Christianity. Now I don't really have to pray as much anymore. Now I don't need to go to church as much anymore. Now I don't, man, I don't need to follow after what God is saying much anymore because I've reached it. I've made it. See, nobody will ever reach that place. We're all on this journey each and every day to grow closer to God. And we are all susceptible to spiritual stagnation. If we think that we're above it, if we think that we are too mature for it, if we think that we have reached a place in our Christianity, you're saying, well, Pastor Caleb, you don't understand. I've been a, I've been a Christian for so long, you don't understand, right? Like, I, it's been 20 years, it's been 40 years. It doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus. You still need more of Jesus each and every day you wake up. You still need more of Jesus each and day than you did yesterday. You need Jesus more tomorrow than you did today, each and every day. See, I believe what happens is that David became satisfied to where he was in life. He finally became king over all of Israel. He finally, he finally placed the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. He finally did all the things that God had promised him to do, and he became satisfied. And when you become satisfied, you can become stagnant. He said, you know what, God? I'm good. I've done it. I made it. And he became stagnant in that moment. And then he became susceptible to things that he thought that he was way past. If there's some things I've seen time and time again, someone coming up and saying, man, I haven't struggled with this in so long. I, I thought I was past this addiction. I thought I was past this mindset. I thought I was past this insecurity. But all of a sudden now it's coming back, and now it's coming back stronger, and, and I can't get past it. And I always ask this, how, how is your relationship with God? Are you still praying like you used to pray when you first got saved, Right? Are you still trying to pursue after Jesus like you did when you first got saved? Because if you're going backwards in your relationship with God, don't think you're moving forward in your strength against stagnation. But actually, when you are thinking you've made it and you become satisfied where you're at, that's when a stagnant spirit will wear its face. But the way to fight against that is say, God, I never want to reach a place where I think I'm good, right? I never want to reach a place where I say, you know what, 
uh, I don't need prayer today, but maybe tomorrow. Check with me tomorrow, God. Maybe, maybe I'll be in a place. No, we need to be each and every day and saying, God, I need more of you today. I need even more of you tomorrow. And that next day, guess what? I need even more of you the next day. And it doesn't matter how many times I pray, God, I have that hunger for you. I have that desire for you. I have that place in my heart that is burning for this time with Jesus. That's what we need to avoid the stagnation that the enemy is trying to put on us. Amen. We believe that. Give Jesus a shot of praise tonight. So I want to go through real quickly signs of stagnation. Maybe you're in this place tonight and you're saying, you know, maybe that I kind of resonate where David is at. Maybe there's some, some things I, I, I'm struggling with, some old stuff I thought I was past or I feel like I'm stagnant in my relationship with God. It hasn't moved forward. It, uh, my prayer life isn't moving forward. There's some signs of stagnation. The first one is insecurity. Insecure. See, confidence, our confidence comes from our sense of security. Insecurity really means, right, lack of security. And only a true security that we can have, only true security comes from God. But when we get insecure, it's because we have gotten distance from God. And we're not finding our security in him no more. And now we're looking for other people to fill that void of security that we have. Then we begin to look for approval from others to give us that security that we're doing what is right. Right? We're looking for others to give us enough likes on Facebook or enough this or enough that for us to make secure in ourselves to say, you know what? I'm on the right track. See, insecurity or where it's said, where it's saying this, it's saying, you know what? I, I have gone to a place in life where maybe I need more than just God's approval. Maybe I need more than what this God is saying for me to do, and I need the approval of the others around me. I need the approval of men. I need people to pat me on the shoulder. I need to be able to please others. See, some of us have a disease, and that's the disease to please, right? That's the disease of saying, hey, I got to make sure that this person likes me and that person likes me. I got to make sure that this person thinks I'm cool and that that person thinks I'm cool. And I got I to gotta win the approval of all these people. And what we don't le- realize is that there will never be a place in your life, it, definitely if you live long enough, where everybody's pleased with what you're doing, right? Somebody's always upset. There's been times in life, I mean, I don't even remember what I said to them, but they're upset, you know? There will always be times in your life where people will not be pleased with you. But here's the freedom that we have as sons and daughters of God is that we don't have to worry about pleasing people no longer. We don't have to worry about pleasing society no longer. I always say, God, as long as I'm pleasing you, that's all I'm worried about. God, as long as I'm pleasing you, Father, I don't have to worry about pleasing people. I don't have to worry about pleasing anybody else. God, just let me please you. And if we find that, we will find security in God, and we won't be insecure about who we are. The next one is insensitive. Insensitive. See, David became so insensitive that he was ready to commit adultery and didn't even think about the consequence of who he was hurting. He even committed murder and didn't think about all the people he was hurting in the process. See, when we become stagnant in our relationship with God, our compassion, our our love for people that only comes from God, we will begin to lose that. And we begin to make decisions that hurt people. We begin to begin to see and begin to become so uh, prideful and so looking at ourselves, so caught up with ourselves that we don't even realize we're leaving a trail of destruction behind us. That we don't even realize that we are, are hurting the people that we love. That we don't even realize that we're making decisions that aren't just affecting us, but have consequences we could never even realize because we have become so insensitive about the others around us that we don't even get to the point to where we don't even care who it hurts by the decisions we make. See, when you are plugged in with God, you are plugged in with compassion. 
when you are plugged in with where God wants you to be, you have this sense uh, this, of love for people and compassion. You're saying, no, wait, wait, I can't do that because if I do that, I see how this person will get hurt. Or I'll see how if I do that, if I make that decision, that could cause my brother or sisters to stumble. So, so you know what? I do not want to make that decision because I can see the consequences that it will have. You are plugged into that when you are uh, plugged in with God. But when we are stagnant, we'll begin to make decisions and, say, and not even realize the people that we are hurting. Not even realize that we are, are, are burning so many bridges that we can't even see how they can be repaired. We're not even realize who we are hurting because we became stagnant and really become numb towards our compassion. Next one is this, immature. David lost his convictions, and his maturity. He got immature real quick. He did things that maybe he thought he was too mature to do, right? He did things that maybe he said, I'm past that. You know, I would never commit adultery or murder. I'm past that. I'm too mature for that. Those are things that are outside my character. I'm, I'm, I would never be able to do those things because it sounds funny, but people actually, I've actually heard people say this. That they say, hey, I'm so mature in my Christianity or in my relationship with God. I'm so mature that I can put myself in those uh, situations, those vulnerable atmospheres, and I know that I want to give in to temptation because I'm, I'm mature enough to do that. I'm mature enough to go to that party because... Let me tell you right now, I'm mature enough where I'm not going to drink and I'm not going to get drunk. I'm too mature for that. So I can go to that party because it won't affect me. Or I'm mature enough to go to so-and-so's house and don't worry, I won't give in to that temptation because I'm mature enough. Let me just say this. If, if, you, if you think you're being mature, you're not. You're being dumb. Because you're saying, God, what you're doing is saying, God, I'm putting really myself in these situations, not because I have trust in you, but I have an unfound trust in myself, in my humanity, in my flesh. And let me tell you this, if you put trust in your flesh, you're going to fail every time. David put trust in his flesh, and he failed, and he made mistakes because he was immature and became stagnant to what he was doing. So we have to see that, you know what, God? Even if I've done all these things, even if I've had all these experiences with you, God, I'm never going to see myself and put myself in these situations that compromise my character. And it's not because I don't trust you, God, and it's not because I think that I'm so weak in my, in my uh, discipline that I'm going to give in so easy. No, I'm doing that not because I feel like I'm immature, but because I'm mature in my Christianity. I'm mature in my relationship with God. Mature people do not put themselves in those situations. Mature people do not put themselves in a vulnerable situation where they know that temptation is there. Mature people say this, hey, while y'all all, go, all going out and doing the wrong thing, guess what? I'm going to be here doing the right thing because I'm going to be mature in who I am. And hey, you want to hang out? That's great. Come hang out at my house where I can control the atmosphere, where I can control what's going on. So that way I'm not being influenced by you. Instead, you are being influenced by me. And that's how you make a, the correct difference in your community. This is what Jesus says about really stagnation in John chapter 7 verse 38. He says this, it says, he who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare that the rivers of stagnant water will flow from his heart. No, that the rivers of lukewarm water will flow out of your heart. No, what? Rivers of living water, come on, somebody, will flow from his heart. And I believe what Jesus was saying was this, is that rivers are constantly flowing and moving. We serve a God of movement, not the God of mundane. We serve a God that is always going forwards, not backwards. We serve a God that, says, that doesn't get complacent. We serve a God that always is looking towards tomorrow. We serve a God that is always has his eyes on the future. We serve a God that is always going forward with the kingdom of heaven. That's the type of God that we serve. 
And so he's saying to be part of that waters of, of living water, rivers of living water, is to make sure that you don't get stagnant in your flesh, that you keep on moving on with what God has on the inside of us. Point number three for tonight is this, is that we become stagnant when we separate ourselves from the source. We become stagnant when we separate ourselves from the source. See, the rivers of living water never stop flowing. But the only times we become stagnant is when we try to do our own thing, right? And have you ever seen uh, a, a river or something and you see, uh, and it looks so like a stream or a river, if it's running fast enough, it looks so clear, right? It looks good enough to drink, right? It's pretty water. But if you look to a puddle of the, uh, to the side of it, a stagnant puddle of water, if you look at it, and all you see is now all these things growing out of it. You see all these, uh, all these green and nasty stuff and the water looks so disgusting and it looks like it, it's, it's so toxic. See, that's what happens when we become stagnant, is that we become susceptible to all those things, temptations, and all those things that the enemy's trying to come against us with. We become stagnant enough where we collect it, and we, don't, and we get disconnected from the river. So we have to, we don't want to be a puddle. I'm saying this. We're not called to be a puddle, okay? God did not call you and say, you know what? You have done enough. Now stay in the same place where you're at. God did not call you to say, hey, now it's time for you to, to hunker down and don't move forward. And now it's time for you to, to sit, stay and stay in your old ways for the rest of your life. No, we are not called to be a puddle. We are called to be a river. We're called to be moving forward. We're called to be saying, God, what do you have for me tomorrow? Uh, one of the prayers that I love to pray, say, God, what is something new you want to do? What is something new that you want to do? Because I don't want to get caught up in these old thoughts. I don't want to get caught up in an old routine. I don't want to get so caught up where I begin to get trust more into who I am than in who you are, God. So, God, what is something new that you want to do? Because that's what a river is. It keeps on moving. It keeps on going. It keeps on going forward into the future. It keeps on going forward into what God has for us. It is never going to be stagnant. It will never be a puddle. It will never be a reservoir. It will be a river where God is leading us down to. See, there's a difference between waiting on the Lord and being stagnant. Because that's what I hear a lot, too. See, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting. I'm not being stagnant. I'm waiting. You don't understand. I'm waiting, all right? I'm ready to go. I'm waiting on God. But I'm waiting on the Lord. I hear that a lot. But there's a difference between being stagnant and being patient. See, waiting is preparing for the next place. But being stagnant and saying, you know what, I'm going to stay in the same place. See, waiting comes from a heart of patience, but stagnation comes from a heart of pride. See, when you, when you say you're waiting for the Lord, what you're, the word you're looking for is you're being patient. Because patience is not a, a season where you sit on your hands. So when people hear the word patient, they think, okay, now it's time for me to hunker down, not do anything different because I need to be patient, I need to stay the same, and I need to wait in the same position where I have been, right? That is not patience. Patience is not a passive action. Patience isn't a set and forget. Patience isn't saying, God, I'm going to do the same thing over and over and over. That's not patience. Patience is proactive. Patience is preparation. Patience is saying, God, I see where you are taking me. I'm going to prepare for that next. I'm not going to stay in today. I'm going to prepare for tomorrow. Patience is not passive. Patience is faith in action. Patience is saying, God, I'm preparing for what you have for me. I've talked to people all the time, especially YAs, and they say, and they hate the word patience. Because I tell them, they just be patient, and they like cringe, right? So be patient, like, oh. You know, they like let out like a groan because being patient Seems like a punishment, but patience isn't a punishment. Patience is preparation. Patience is really a promise of God saying this, if you trust me and if you trust my timing, I promise you that you will get to the purpose that I have for you. That's what patience is. Patience is really an awesome thing. Next time you hear God tell you to be patient, you better not act like it's a prison, all right? Because patience isn't a prison. See, the enemy will try to tell you that, and that's how stagnation happens. The enemy will try to tell you, oh, you're in a patient season, so that must mean you're in a stagnant season, so that must mean don't do anything new, don't do anything different, just sit on your hands and wait. 
That's not patience. Patience is saying God has something for you, and he's preparing you. He's getting you ready for it. And you, if you are patient, and you, if you have that faith, you, when God gets to that time and place in your life, because you were patient, now you're prepared for what God has for you. Come on, if you believe that, give Jesus a shout of praise tonight. See, when we become stagnant, it creates strongholds in our life. When we become stagnant in our relationship with God or stagnant in a mindset or stagnant in something, it begins to create a stronghold. So when David, when he realized Bathsheba was pregnant, first of all, he was like, oh, shoot, you know, I did it now. But when he realized Bathsheba was pregnant, Scripture says that then he asked um, uh, her husband, he he asked, he asked him, he said, hey, can you come home and go lay with your wife? Because his plan was like this. If, they, if he comes home from, from the battlefield and then maybe they'll, they won't figure it maybe they won't connect the dots. And, and if the baby comes out looking like David, maybe nobody would be the wiser, right? That was his plan. But, but, that, but Uriah, you know what he said? He said, he, he said, David, he told David this. He said, how can I go home when my brothers in arms are on the battlefield? He said, I ain't going home. And he forced him to go home. You know what he did? He said, you know what, I'm, I'm home, and you know what, I'm, but I'm not going to go and, and enjoy my house and my wife because how can I do that knowing my brothers are on the battlefield? So when he, was, when he came home in Jerusalem, it actually said that he slept on the palace gates waiting for morning to come so he could go back to the battlefield. That was Uriah. And so what David did, he said, you know what, I couldn't trick them into this. And so then he, he, instead of, here's what happened, instead of him asking for forgiveness for what he did, he made his sin worse. And how you make sin worse is that you try to hide it. How you make sin worse is you try to conceal it. You try to act like it's not there. You try to say, God, there really isn't a problem here. There, I don't really don't struggle with lust, God. God, I don't really struggle with pride, God. I don't really struggle with addiction. I'm trying to hide out. I'm trying to move it. I'm trying to act like it's not there. And when you become stagnant, that's when a stronghold is built. And he made his sin even worse. He went from being an adulterer to a murderer. Why? Because he tried to hide his sin. And trying to say, God, forgive me for what I've done. And try and say, God, God, God forgive me for, for the sin I did again. Instead of him saying that, he tried to hide it, and his sin got worse. And a stronghold was built. Became, he became stagnant in who he was. See, stagnation doesn't happen suddenly. It happens slowly. Stagnation doesn't happen after the second day you go without prayer. Stagnation happens after the second month you go without prayer. It happens slow. It doesn't happen right away because I believe if it happened right away, we would notice it and we get back on track. But if we don't keep our eye on what God is doing in our life and if we don't be consistent in our calling on the inside of us, all of a sudden we can begin to make a streak of not doing what God has called us to do. And before we know it, it has become a place where now we are stagnant in our relationship with God. And now we're saying, I haven't prayed in forever. I haven't been to church in months. And you know what the enemy will then try to do? This is what the enemy does. And I've seen it many times. Is that when somebody becomes stagnant, because they have been stagnant for so long, the enemy tries to tell them, what's the point of going back? You haven't gone to church in months. What's the point of going back? You haven't prayed like you used to in years, maybe. What's the point of going back? Because you will never be the person that you were back then. And he tries to convince us to stay in our stagnation and not go for the, the full fruition that God has for us because he's saying you haven't prayed for so long. You haven't gone to church for so long. You haven't acted in the way I've called you. God's called you for so long. What's the point of going back to it? And it happens slowly. And then all of a sudden the enemy tries to come against us. And before we know it, we are trapped in stagnation. And now... Sometimes we can look around, and although we see ourselves as Christians, we become a stagnant follower of Jesus, staying in the same place, haven't moved forward, haven't, haven't felt that pull in so long, haven't felt that what we used to feel so long, and before we know it, now we don't even notice that we're stagnant. Now it's become our everyday. Now it's become part where, hey, I used to pray every day, but now I just pray on Sundays. Or I used to pray all the time, but now I just spend time with God when, when Riverside Church doors are open, right? But when we skip that, when we get to that place of stagnation, it happens slowly. 
the enemy will try to convince us that we're trapped. But you know how we fight against stagnation? You know how we fight against that pull that tries to get us to averageness, try to get us to mediocrity, that tries to pull us to a place to, to stagnate us in our spirit. How we fight that is say, you know what, God, I never want to be satisfied with the person who I am. I always want more of you, Jesus. How we fight that stagnation is saying, God, I want to go each and every day not looking at, hey, where can I take a break? Or looking at, hey, when I can, I, can I get unplugged? No, saying, God, each and every day I want more of you. I want to do more for you. I want to do more for you because I need more of your love, Jesus. I need more of your grace. I need more of your spirit. I need more of your anointing. If you say, God, I need more, if you wake up every morning. And saying, Jesus, I need more of you. I promise you, you will never be stagnant in your spirit. If you wake up every day and say, God, I need more of your grace today. I need more of your mercy today. I'm not satisfied with yesterday. I'm looking for more of you today. If you wake up every morning, I promise you, you will never be stagnant in your spirit. You will find a strength every morning. And you will be pushed through by God's strength. You will find a peace in your heart unspeakable. And all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit will begin to sprout. Because you're searching for more of Jesus every day. Come on, if you believe that, stand to your feet. I'm closing. See, both Saul and David, they both made mistakes. Because if you look at their lives, really Saul and David, you could even make the argument that David made more mistakes. So the worst mistakes. See, both Saul and David, they both made mistakes. But the responses. We're totally different. See, Saul's response after making a mistake was in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12. See, this is after Saul disobeyed God and spared the Amalekites and took all the best of the plunder for himself, took all the best of the livestock and took it for himself. He, he clearly and intentionally disobeyed God. He made a mistake. And it says in scripture when Samuel, prophet Samuel was looking for Saul, he asked in verse 12, it says, early in the next morning, oh, it's the wrong verse up there, but y'all can read it with me. In, in verse 12, it says this, it says, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul and someone told him, he said, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument. Everybody say monument. So Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. So after Saul made a mistake, Samuel was looking for him saying, hopefully I find Saul at the altars of God. Hopefully I find him on his hands and knees realizing that he's made a mistake. Instead, he said, where's Saul? And they said, Saul is making a monument to his mistakes. He's making a monument to himself. He's making a monument out of the very things that God called him to give to him. He is not bashful about his mistakes. He does no repentance in his heart. Matter of fact, he's proud of what he did. And he made a monument to his mistakes. But this is David's response after making his mistake of adultery and murder. This is after God convicted him through the prophet Nathan. Read Psalms 51. Verse 1 leads like this, leading up to 7. It says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Purify. Everybody say purify. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And do not banish me from your presence. Everybody say presence. He says, do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Come on, that's a heart of repentance. That's a heart of saying, God, I did wrong, but God, I repent of what I've done. I repent of my mistakes. He's, David realized after that conversation with Nathan, if I don't have it in my notes to read because it's kind of a long story, but I'll give this synopsis. What Nathan came up to David, he said, he, he said David, I want to tell you a story about a man, about a man who just had one sheep, and he loved that sheep, and he took care of it, and he loved after it. 
And that, that one sheep was all his pride and joy. And then he said there is another man who had many sheep, hundreds of sheep. But he became jealous of that man with the one sheep. And so he went to that man and killed him and took that one sheep away from him. And then David got all upset. He got so much anger on the inside of him. He said, bring me to that man so he can be brought to justice. Bring me to that man because he's done wrong in the eyes of God. And Nathan looked at David and said, David, you are that man. And he fell to his knees. And Psalms 51 came because he said this, I made a mistake. I become stagnant. I, 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 I lost sight of who I was and I made decisions I should have made, but God have mercy on me. Because as big as the mistakes I have made, God, you are bigger than every one I could ever make. God, because of all the wrong things I did, God, your grace, God, goes beyond anything capable of sin, anything that has blotted out. God, your blood can make up for any sin that I have done. He said, I've become stagnated, but God, let me be saturated by your spirit once again. The closing point for tonight is this, is that the cure for a stagnated soul is a saturated spirit. The cure for a stagnated soul. If you find yourself in this place tonight, if you find yourself in this mindset or maybe insecurity and you feel like you've been stagnant, you haven't been going forward, you haven't been doing what God has called you to do, can I tell you what the cure for that is? is to look at what David did. He said, let me go back into your presence, O Lord. Don't keep away your Holy Spirit. God, let me get back in your presence so I can be saturated with you once again. So that way all the stagnation can be broken. That way all the things that have been in such a null can be broken, God, because I want more of you, God. Forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for my mistakes, but God, let me go into the presence of the Lord. And let me break through this spirit. Let me break through this barrier. Let me break through this stronghold. And the only thing that can break the yoke is the anointing of the Lord. The only thing that can break us through anything that we have been a stronghold to is the presence of the Lord. It doesn't matter how long we have been stagnated or how far we have strayed or how many mistakes we have made. All it takes is one moment with Jesus. All it takes is one moment in His presence. I feel God's presence right now. All it takes is one moment in God's presence. We say, Father, forgive me for what I've done. God, I'm sorry for not pursuing after you the way I should. God, I'm sorry, God, for avoiding the things that you have in my purpose, God. And Father, forgive me for what I have done. But Father, let me be saturated with your spirit once again. Let me be saturated, God, by your presence. Let me be saturated with your love. Let me be saturated with your peace. Come on, if you need to be saturated right now, lift up your hands. God is in the atmosphere. Father, right now, begin to saturate every spirit. Begin to saturate, God, every mind. God, if there's anybody stagnant in their, God, disobedience, stagnant, Father, in their minds, stagnant in their hearts. God, let him feel, God, your presence right now. And as we begin to sing, as we begin to worship, Father, let us begin to get saturated, God, by your spirit once again. Let us begin to get that overflow, Father. Let us begin to get in that place, God, of repentance and that place of worship and that place of prayer and that place of praise. We're saying, Father, God, I give you my all. Jesus, you can have everything. Holy Spirit, I need more of you. God, I need more of your peace. I need more of your love. I need more, Father, what you have for me. God, break through this stagnation. Break through, God, this mundaneness, Father, and bring us, God, into your marvelous light that you have. Bring us into the will that you have for us, Father, and God, bring us into a place, God, where we can feel your peace and your power and your strength once again. Come on, if you believe that, just raise your hands tonight. We're just going to sing a few songs together, but begin to worship, begin to praise, and begin to let the Holy Spirit do a work on the inside of us. Come with every hand lifted. Do not miss out on this opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.